The following Now to Next episode is one of four podcasts with local manufacturing leaders rising to meet the challenges and opportunities COVID-19 has presented. Today's episode features Zachary Fine, CEO of Holly Poultry, and Christopher Helmrath, Founder and Managing Director of SNH Capital, discussing the impact on the food supply chain and the need to move quickly to make strategic changes in a fast-paced environment. In today's fast-paced world and what we're seeing in the pandemic of COVID, oftentimes you take for granted the fact that you can go to a restaurant and have a great dish and the food is outstanding and you never gave thought to How did that chicken or how did that beef get there? And how and why did that make that experience so great? Today, we're gonna talk a little bit about that and go kind of behind the scenes and give you an insight into the food supply chain as it existed before and how it will exist as we go forward, given these new world that we're dealing in. We have Zach Fine with us today from Holly Poultry. Zach, how are you? Good, I'm great this morning. Awesome. Hey, for the listeners, would you give a little background on Holly Poultry? Because it's not like they go to the grocery store and they see Holly Poultry when they go to the uh, the counter to buy chicken. But this business has been a major supplier of not only chicken, but other proteins in this market for quite some time. Yeah. So quick little background is uh, the business started in 1990 with my dad um, and we were it, in uh, inner city Baltimore, um, really just major proteins, um, mostly in chicken, but all the proteins and really covered Baltimore and Washington. Um, as I got in the business in um, 2000, in the last 20 years, we've grown the marketplace to really cover the whole Northeast and Mid-Atlantic up to Boston, down to Richmond. Um, and we do a lot more than just uh, those proteins. We further process a lot of proteins uh, that go into the restaurant industry that obviously has been affected drastically by COVID um, and which has helped us switch gears to a little bit into the retail marketplace. So you you really wouldn't know of Holly Poultry other than if you were um, a general manager of a restaurant or an executive chef of a restaurant, you would know our brands uh, because uh, that that's what they depend on in, in this marketplace as well as up into the Northeast. Um, but it's going to be soon to be known. Uh, one of our new retail brands is going to be coming launching here pretty shortly. That'll be into the retail sector. So we will be known by the consumer. Right now, we just haven't, and we've had tremendous growth here over the last 30 years. That's awesome. So what we're going to focus on, and we'll get to that, but let's go back a little bit to your dad's inception, and you're coming into the business, and now you're taking over. Chicken is chicken, right? It's a commodity. What's so special about chicken? Give us a little bit of the insight about what's allowed Holly Poultry to really be different in the market and why were uh, buyers from Boston to Richmond desiring to buy from you versus any other place they could buy chicken? Well, Chris, I think um, you're right. Chicken is chicken. Um, As long as you don't overcook it. (laughs) Um, But what what I think has my dad had a vision when he started the business of okay we just don't want to be a commodity distributor of proteins in the area we really want to do something different he had a really big processing background from his previous job and we bought from a lot of smaller processors in around Baltimore Washington and it just wasn't up to par it just wasn't it wasn't uh, what we expected and wanted to put out there so he said all right well I have a processing background I'll just do it myself and that's really how Holly Poultry started. So we started processing and sizing and marinating and flavoring stuff for the restaurant industry. 
um, all over the Northeast, and it just started to grow. I mean, people can call us with an order up to all day long, and then they get it the next day. And if, if you're really talking about some of the bigger guys like the Pilgrims or Tysons of the world, even if they're in the food service game, you might have to order a week out. And a lot of restaurants and, and uh, caterers or, or things like that don't know what they need. So we, we allowed a shorter window for them to order in, a freshness um, guarantee, and also a lot of variety of specialty items that the big guys wouldn't do. So that allowed us to grow into those marketplaces, knowing that those guys really wanted something a little bit different in their chicken. So let's go just a little deeper, because I would think most listeners hear the word processing, but probably don't fully appreciate what that means. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you could give us just a little understanding of where does the product land on your loading dock? What do you do to it? until it gets absolutely to the end fire. All right, so um, we we don't kill any chickens. Um, I'm not in the business of growing and killing chickens. That's what the Tysons and Purdue's of the world, they do it really, really well. We, we buy from them um, and then it comes into our doors and then we process them. What I mean by processing is we either marinate it, we size it, to a certain window. So every cutlet might wanna be four or five ounces that somebody that a restaurant wants on their sandwich or on their salad. So we size it to a specific range. We um, marinate it to somebody's specific marinade that they want to where all they have to do is cook it and serve it at the restaurant level. Everybody knows how challenging labor and how costly labor is becoming. So taking those elements out of it. So we wanna process it as much as possible to have it ready for that all they have to do is cook it and serve it at the restaurant level. So you, bring, you highlight a great point, labor. Labor is such a critical point in so many of the supply chains here in the United States. Talk a little bit about the history of the labor that you have employed, the training, the specialization, and the longevity. Has that been a secret sauce of Holly Poultry? I'd have to say that we've, there's no doubt, we have a lot of our hourly labor force that have been here with us 20, 25 years, really a few from the beginning. Um, and even some of the newer groups have still been here five or 10 years. They come in, they enjoy it, they like it, they, they know the impact of what they're making. We have big customers like Nando's, Royal Farms. So they know that they might be able to go out that day after work and, and, and go eat what they were just producing. Um, so it's really impactful. Uh, we've we've done a really good job of having the right benefits for them to be able to grow their careers because we can only grow if their careers can grow. So we've we've really, especially over the last five year window, as our culture has changed with me leading the company now, we've really focused on allowing them to be successful, allowing them to be prideful of where they work, allowing the employees to take the next step in their career, whether it's a supervisor or a lead or even a manager. Um, if those opportunities are there because we've had so much growth that that's really been a help of our secret sauce of being able to, A, have the right mix and also grow with that mix and be able to get the right employees out there in the marketplace. So if, if we had a camera and we walked through your facility in Baltimore, would we see anything special? Would we see anything that's unique? Would we see millions of dollars worth of capital equipment or is it really product in, process, out the door, do it right. So if you were in our old building, you would have saw nothing special. Just a, a big old room and a lot of people doing a lot of great work and, and doing that labor and product was coming in, product going out. The new building that we moved into in the middle of 2017, there were 
close to if we do things right here in the next year or two, we'll be blowing the doors off of it and need something else. Um, you're going to walk into a 20,000 uh, square foot processing room with no beams. So it's completely overhead structure. So no interruption, stainless steel walls, everything stainless steel in there. Um, a lot of equipment, millions of capital, uh, a, a lot of employees that are all working hard. Uh, a lot of equipment that you would see at the really big guys we've in, integrated here to help us be more successful and help us uh, take volume from bigger customers and be able to handle it correctly. So it, if people don't know, you, you see this 40,000 square foot facility and it just looks like a big gray building, the new building. But when you walk in, if you walk into our 20,000 foot processing room, it really blows away our customers. And that's what, when my dad built this and when we built it together, he wanted to make sure that when people walked in there, they said, wow, I'm really proud of where I'm buying my, my poultry from. And there's no doubt you've been successful. Everything was going. And then March 2020 hits. And all yes, of a sudden, your customer base that has been loyal to you, that you've built, that you've customized through no fault of their own, are shut down. Yep. Sitting in your chair, what went through your head as you started to watch what could have been your world unfolding? How did you think about all of that which was built to be able to say, what can we do, not just what have we done? That's a great point, Chris. I mean, it, it came at us fast. Um, when everybody was kind of talking about it in early March and what is it going to be? And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's here and COVID's real. And all, all of a sudden, okay, now we're, I'm going to make some decisions to shut down stuff. And then overnight restaurant industry shut down. Well, that's where a hundred percent of our products have gone, um, for the last 30 years and up until then, luckily, um, and sometimes you need luck in business. Um, we were already working on starting a retail brand, like I talked at, at the outset of the uh, interview, and we had, we were really thinking about really migrating that the the new brand called One Fine Chicken, uh, a division of Holly Poultry, um, and we were talking about it at the beginning of the year. We developed a plan. We onboarded everybody that we needed to with the plan. We were going to try to work through that plan through all of 2020 and really kick it off in 21, knowing that we needed to diverse our, diversify ourselves anyways, not have all our chips in the food service basket. Well, when COVID hit, we made the immediate switch to say, we can't wait till 2021 to implement this plan. We need to implement this plan now. Uh, on the food service side, we saw almost immediately, we saw a 75% loss of business. Um, so we had about 25% of our existing volume was still there. Now that's crept back up in the last, in the, in the eight, nine weeks of COVID, we bounced back up to about 50%. We're about 50% now of what we normally do on a week on our food service business. But when we flipped on the, to the one fine chicken that we can do, we've integrated some quick retail packaging equipment that we're already packaging for some retailers, some really big retailers, and we're utilizing our knowledge of food service. And let's say, let's face it, in the last eight weeks, I've never been to the this much to the grocery store in my life. Um, I'm 41 years old. We probably, uh, my wife and I, my four kids, we would go out to eat probably three or four times a week. Well, that got shut down. So now I'm going to the grocery store, but I'm looking for something different in the grocery store. I got kids running around and usually you do have sports and all those things. So I need something quick. I need something that's going to be good. Um, so that's what we've done for the food service industry. So now what we're trying to do with One Fine Chicken is take that, 
power and knowledge of what the new consumer is looking for and get it into a retail package where they could get the right flavor or a quick cook or the right or super trend or anything that's really specialized. They can almost get that food service style, restaurant style in a retail package and what the new consumer now is looking for. So let's talk about the challenge you had. You probably had a sales force that knew where to go from Boston to Richmond. They knew which customers to go after. You knew the competitive positioning. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to shift to an entire new channel. Yeah. How did you get the labor force to look at that and to buy into we can do it versus, oh, my gosh, how will we ever take on whoever the brand is that you're really competing against? Well, on the labor side, I'd have to say we, we got all of our uh, employees together and we said, hey, it's really important that we keep everybody to work. Um, obviously, hours went down. We reduced our week. Uh, but we wanted to get that rate back up. We wanted to get back up to our normal schedule, our normal hours work. And we said, all right, guys, we have an opportunity with now the amount of business has now been shifted to the retail sector. We have an opportunity. We have the knowledge. We can go this. Now, it'll be some different products. It'll be different packaging. It'll be a learning curve for all of us. But if we flip, not forgetting our food service, because trust me, food service is going to come back. Will it ever look the same? Probably not. Um, but it will come back and it'll be always a big piece of our business. But the other half of our business, we ultimately wanted it to be retail anyways. This, this is just getting fast tracked. So we need to believe in the decisions we're making. We need to believe in ourselves and we want to keep everybody working and working hard and, and having a job. And we don't want that to go down that road. So we need to do these things. And it really, it was, it was a pretty uh, almost overnight transition and almost overnight buy-in from everybody. So let's go even deeper into the supply chain. While it seemed pretty common that, as you said, hey, we had a couple of the places where we got our product, whatever the protein was. Mm -hmm. Now, no different than everybody else, the grocery stores, the retail side are now flooded. And there are some grocery stores you can go into and there's no protein in the, in the case. Not at all. How did you have to go deeper into the supply chain and look to ensure that you would continue to get the supply you needed at the quality that you demanded to make sure that you could adhere to what you and your dad had built over time mm -hmm. to go forward. Because if you start putting out an inferior product over time, not only does that damage you on the retail side, but that could damage you on the food service side. No doubt. And and what happened in the, in the eight weeks, talking about supply, which is really good that you brought up, Chris, is restaurants shut down all over the country, like immediately. And there was so much chicken out there, they didn't know what to do with it uh, for the first four weeks of the pandemic. Um, I mean, prices have crashed like I've never seen. Uh, wing prices per pound were at $2 and crashed down to 50 cents in a week. And you, I, we've never seen those kind of fluctuations in commodity and in, in protein commodities like that ever. Uh, once that kind of hit the floor, then food service started, buyers started buying a little bit more, whether it was for freezing for down the road or for now I'm doing curbside and it's being a little bit successful. I'm doing delivery and it's being successful. And oh, by the way, retailers are taking anything they can get their hands on to keep meat in the case. Uh, even stuff that, like you said, they didn't really want and they really don't want to portray their brand, but it didn't matter. They just needed meat in the case to be able to sell to. So it kind of hit a floor. Then 
the industry made some cutbacks, uh, whether there were production, there's major production issues going on right in the industry right now because of COVID and people don't feel safe. There's not enough separation in the plants. Uh, we're lucky here. Uh, this, this room can really only handle about 150 on per shift and they're already being spread out. That's just our normal course. So we're very lucky. But in some of these poultry plants, you get thousands and thousands of people in very big rooms. Um, but they're getting they're getting meat in and get meat out as quick as they can for the industry to, to support demand. So I think they got a caught off guard a little bit um, with with what needed to happen. And now they they're caught up. But but just like cases are we've had a few cases here. Uh, I don't think anybody's been. Uh, hey, I don't have any cases. Everybody, every industry, every every place has had some cases. Uh, but that production issue has sent the market back up skyrocketing. It actually, as of this week, is plateauing a little bit. But over the last three, four weeks of the pandemic, it's really skyrocketed in supply to not being not having much around. Luckily, we have four different entities that are are all different business models that we split up here the last four years as we built the new building for Holly Poultry that are all in the commodity business. So that sheer buying power has allowed us to procure the right items at the right price level for me to make sure that we want to put our name on it and then give it out to the retailers. So if you had to start rethinking and actually look for more regional producers in case the national producers can't fill your needs, do you have that built into your plan? And would you know where to go if for some reason Tyson Foods couldn't produce the product that you needed? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, we Ironically, we don't do really much with Tyson. Tyson I only threw that as a, as a name. User stuff. No, no, but, but yes, uh, George is local in Virginia, Purdue and Mount Air on the shore. Uh, we already do a lot with them. Uh, we're doing more and more as we've grown, especially over the last five-year window with those suppliers. So yes, we buy a lot of regional stuff. We also buy from the deep south out of Alabama, uh, Georgia, uh, really, we buy all over the country, but we do buy a, a nice mix out of this region. And funny that you talk about region of controlled buying is it, Chipotle just came out with a great article where they've had a lot of their eggs in one basket. And now they're rethinking that on a supply side. Do, does it make more sense to buy from somebody that's a regional player that can cater to their needs in that area of location? So national accounts that might have a hundred or, or, or I mean a thousand or two thousand or three thousand units in the country a lot of them only had one source well as their business will now pick back up with food service with the country opening back up to whatever level will be I think they're re-looking at do I really want one source do I want all my chips in that one basket after what's going on maybe I want it with five different industry players around the country for that region so where everybody has four or five hundred stores and I feel like I have A, you have competition, B, you have better service level, and then and then C, what I really look at is what we can do where we might play into some of that is we can do it specialized and have it ready for where all they have to do is cook and serve it. Because let's face it, if these restaurants are going to survive on maybe 80 or 85% of the revenue that they used to have, they're going to have to do it with less labor. And food safety concerns were already big. Now with this COVID, it's going to be even bigger. And that's where we come into play. So what are the things that you're worried about for the rest of 2020 and into 2021 that the regular consumer isn't thinking about and that by you telling them will make them a better educated consumer in terms of food supply, supply chain, and what we'll be seeing in the grocery stores? 
in the way of food supply, things that I'm short range concerned about for the next three or four months, the industry has made drastic cutbacks on chick placement and egg placement, things, numbers of seven, eight percent that the industry has never seen. Um, so they are prepared for food service to only get back to a certain level. And there's only so many retail plants in the country. Most of the, most of the chicken plants in the country are focused on food service because there's been so much growth in food service over the last 15, 10, 15 years. And that's what the industry has been building for is the jumbo birds that can be sliced or tenders or wings or whatever it may be for the food service industry, where the retail plants have really kind of stabilized in the last 10 years because retail business hasn't been that great. Now that you have that switch, you can't just all of a sudden flip plants around and open up plants in a matter of no time. So I think what you're going to have is with food service and then this, these cutbacks on egg placement, you're going to have a tightening of chicken. Uh, overall, you're going to have peaks and valleys, but you're going to have a tighter chicken market than we've ever had over the next three or four months. And then I see it normal when the chicks come back and the placements are up, which usually is a two, three month cycle. Um, when that comes back in the fall, I think you'll have a little bit of normalcy in the fall. So we're going to see price increases. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, you've already seen tremendous across the board in all proteins at the, at the retail level. And I think what they're going to end up doing is getting the consumer used to paying these new numbers. And I think they're going to be staying there because they're going to be paying much higher numbers because of tightness. Now, that might relax in the fall, but definitely through the summer months, I think you're going to have uh, protein price increases across the board. Wow. So I'd like to give you an opportunity. We've been talking a lot about your insights as a leader. One of the other things I think, if I'm correct, that you've shown as a leader is your ability to also look at the community. And given the, the record number of unemployment today, or unemployment numbers are again through the roof. Talk a little bit about how you see Holly's role in the community and what you've been doing with the community, given the fact that there are many that going to the grocery store is now even more of a strain than it was in the past and how we need to be cognizant as a business community to take care of those that can't take care of themselves right now. So twofold, let's talk about the employee base first because getting employees back to work or the unemployment doing the best part that we can, even though it's a little part that we play in Baltimore, we do play a pretty big part in West Baltimore. Um, and we've we're actually back to hiring so we've had so much as as i talked about the plan that we switched of going over to the retail sector we're actually so fortunate enough to be busier now than we were before covid which is not <laughs> not a lot of businesses can say that at all uh our revenues up our volumes up we're, we're building really good relationships with even retail partners such as wegmans I mean, huge, huge things that have, that have really fostered and, and is heading in the right direction. So with that growth, we actually can't even keep up. So starting last week, we just started rehiring again to bring back in more hourly supervisors, warehouse help, really across the board hiring uh, on a salary level and an hourly level, um, probably in the tune of hopefully 30 or 40 employees that we'll need here over the next couple weeks to get in, get them trained correctly, and then grow. So while 30 or 40 employees is is not a great deal we already employ over 300 employees here as a company uh total between all the organizations but adding on 10 percent of our of our group adding on another 10 percent of 30 or 40 employees is a big thing right now when people are letting go of people and not moving so that feels really good as a culture 
it feels really good that as a myself as the leader, but also my team's tremendous. And we all pivoted and turned from the from the hourly group to the salary. And we put ourselves in a position for them to have a job and to grow and to continue to grow. And also now future employees we're, we're going to be able to add to in, in this challenging time. So for the employee thing, I don't I, I mean, uh, just kudos to all of us as a, as a company, but we could be in a better position now. Now rehiring. That's great. Go ahead. Community. Um, it's always been instilled uh, in, from when I was just a, a little tyke. Uh, my, my parents have, have done it the right way. Um, there were no free lunches for me in this business. Um, he always instilled in me of work ethic, uh, learning from the ground up, which I did when I came into this business, but also uh, the special things that we were uh, blessed with as a family, being able to make sure our organization and our culture is all about community focus. It's actually one of our pillars in our mission statement and making sure that we give back to the community. We do that year round. Uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's been entrenched in, uh, in myself since I was a little kid. And we as a family always give back, whether it's through United Way or local, uh, as well as myself giving back and making sure that this business always gives back because let's face it, we have food. And I was just on a United Way virtual town hall a couple of weeks ago. And they did a couple surveys during the hour long uh, seminar. And every single one of them was like 80% of the votes were we need food, we need food, we need food. So we have the resource of what people need during challenging times like this. Like I said, we always do it. But uh, right now there's such a big need. Um, it's funny that you bring up community. So I, in the last couple of weeks, it, it, it's hit the press a, a decent amount, especially around here. There's a local DJ uh, called DJ Kopak. And uh, him and I have known each other probably for the last nine months or a year. And he started doing these virtual dance parties in his basement and because you couldn't go anywhere. And the first time he flipped the switch and you got 26,000 live viewers at one time. And then throughout that week, him and I talked and I said, all right, well, why don't we try to turn this into a feel good story about you keep doing it every Saturday night. It seems like a lot of people are excited about having something to do instead of being just cooped up in their house. And let's let's put some challenges out there. and Let's let's allow me to donate a bunch of food to the food banks that really, really need it and the organizations in around the city and the counties that really need it. So that back at the end of March, we did another event and I think it got 32,000 live viewers at one single time, which is insane for a local Ellicott City DJ to have that kind of magnitude. And, and we ended up donating 60,000 pounds of chicken that night. Uh, that next week, we donated in contact with United Way. We donated to all the area food banks. And then it's kind of just progressed from there. Every week he's done, every week or other week, he's done these challenges. And I've teamed up with the uh, Paterakis's H&S Bakery, um, and they've done bread, and then I've married it with chicken, and we've done more and more donations. We're going to, his, I think his, what hopefully will be, hopefully we might get out of quarantine here <laughs> in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but this Saturday is going to be his, his probably his last fundraising one. And uh, if he can hit a certain dollar amount with the fundraiser for Baltimore child abuse, then it's going to go to uh, where um, Paterakis and I are going to team up again and do a more chicken. It'll amount to about 120,000 pounds of chicken through the end of this whole cycle that we've donated and several loads of bread that we've just got out to the food banks. And really, it's it's been my family's not about the press. I could care less about the articles or interviews or any of those kind of things. It's really about what's the right thing to do. And I feel like when we got to the end of this 
We've done everything that we could do with, with what we have, which is such a need. We've done everything we can do to help as many people as we can through this challenging time. So let's as, as we start to wrap this up, the beginning of our discussion was 75% of my business went away overnight. Yep. Let's just say it was 10 weeks ago. I don't know. Yep. Let's yeah. close. And now I'm watching you talk about giving away over 100,000 pounds of food, increasing your revenue greater than where it was, hiring more people, coming out with more products. If you had to wrap all of that together as a business owner and bestow a thought or two for other business owners to garner what you've learned that's been most critical in this 10-week process, to go from, oh my gosh, to, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. what would that be? Uh, the biggest thought that I'd have for leaders is anything's possible. And when your back's up against the wall and you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for your company, you're doing it for your employees uh, because they count on the decisions that I make and the leadership team here make. And we count on them to do the right things as well. We all count on each other. And I think when something like that, that's never happened before, uh, as my dad says, he's never gone through something like this and hopefully we'll never go through it again. Uh, but when your back gets put up against the wall that you have to do something immediately because you can't weather being down 75% with our, with our expense structure, <laughs> it would have been ugly. Uh, a couple weeks later if we wouldn't have pivoted in turn. So back against the wall, we know we can do it, having the commitment from everybody and making sure that, you know what, we didn't think that we would go down this road, but making sure all hands on deck and making sure that we're all committed to saying we can do this together and let's be a team and let's move that direction. And now you're right, eight, nine weeks later, it's like, oh my God, look at all this good stuff between hiring and giving back to the community. and in a better revenue position than we ever have been here as a business. And really it all comes back to our fundamentals and our culture and everybody being on the same page. It's not about me. Um, it's about all of us being on the same page and moving in that right direction and, and believing in each other to say, all right, we're going to pivot and turn. And when we pivot and turn eight weeks later, we're, we're, lo we're loving where we are. And we know we might have to pivot and turn again. And that's what business leaders have to be able to do. We got to be nimble. We got to think outside the box, um, and and that is probably the biggest attribute and and really great thing that we were able to do. And kudos to my team of getting us in the position where we where we are now. But I know we got challenges coming as food service ramps up. Now I got space challenges because food service is going to come up, and I think retail business is still going to be there. So if we're successful in what we pivoted and turned in, now I got a space issue. So. What do we do about that? So there's always going to be challenges coming down the road that we need to think about, but using each other, uh, having those meetings, bouncing ideas, having that open door policy to make sure that we're moving each other's forward. We, I'm confident we will come up with the right next pivot and turn to make keep us on that upward trend. Zach, thank you. It's, it's, it's an honor to have had the opportunity to interview you to you and your family, to all of your employees, Baltimore should be very thankful that you're here. And we look forward to watching you guys continue to take it to the market and uh, bring us the protein we need in the grocery stores. Thanks. 
No, thank you a lot, Chris. And and like I said, now you, nobody in the area even knew what Holly Poultry was because it always was in the back of a restaurant. But uh, with our new retail brand, One Fine Chicken, get it the fine uh, in there. I finally, my mom, my mom always wanted the name in something, so we got it in something. It's a really cool logo and brand, and we're really proud of what we will be able to put into the retail sector moving forward. To listen to the remaining podcasts in this series and learn more about SCH Capital, please visit schcapital.com.